Welcome to Security Today Podcast. I'm your host, Uncle Bear. That's Uncle B-A-E-R underscore on Instagram and Twitter. As you know, the show is brought to you by Sprinter Business Solutions. So they are promoting us and giving us the time to do this. And I'm so excited because we're back again at another Bid to Bank episode. These things have been going off the charts. And so I couldn't let it stop. I couldn't let the momentum die down without getting the, the one true OG, my friend from like seven years back on Instagram on here, Tech of the Town. And um, so we had to get him in today, but that's who we're interviewing. And I just want to give you guys a reminder, this Bid to Bank series is so that you listeners can, you know, have a different perspective of how people are doing it out there. Uh, it's been so nice because the guys that I've had on here have been real humble coming on like, well, I don't know if I can answer these questions or, you know, I don't know if I'm exactly what it's looking for. But everybody that we've had on here has been just excellent in giving that. So I, I didn't want to stop there. I wanted to keep it going. So we go through uh, interview questions from marketing and sales to the bid, the project management, to the customer experience, and to the bank. And then we hit them with the humbling question and the bonus question. So that's what we're going to be doing today. I've got my friend Zolt here with uh, Tech of the Town. How's it going, brother? It's going, man. What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. I don't know. Those are some big shoes to fill, man. I've been listening to the episodes, and I don't know if I can uh, spring some knowledge that those guys already didn't cover, but I'll try my best. Yeah, no, it's good, man. It's just another perspective. You know, if we can conglomerate, you know, 150 of them or something like that, maybe we'll have, like, the the perfect model for a company. I'll start selling little pamphlets or something like yeah, that. That'd be awesome, man. <laughs> But uh, anyways, man, so I always like to start these out and just give the listeners kind of an idea of who you are and what your company does. But right before that, just tell me how you got into the industry. Oh, man, uh, that's a that's a really long handed story, but I'll give you the short version. Um, OK, I immigrated to the country and uh, like some immigrants in my personal shoes, uh, we go through some trials and tribulations where. The usual doors of, of schooling and business aren't open to us the way it would be to most people. So I basically went through my high school years uh, working with jobs on the side and uh, I landed in tech. Uh, I had a Cisco uh, course through what we had in BOCES in New York. It's a um, curriculum where usually the kids that aren't too good in regular curricular schools do uh, blue collar type stuff. And I just ended up there by proxy. And I was very fortunate to have a professor that I was able to lean on for advice and uh, kind of looking at the world in a little different way. Because in school, you go through and you're being fed the constant college, college, college. And um, this gentleman took it upon himself to show me that blue collar jobs can be way more successful in many cases than just your average college course that everybody was being funneled through. So through him, I was able to explore side work where um, I worked for a TV repair uh, company for a while during school. Uh, a couple of years later, I did a computer repair company. And slowly but surely, that trickled into getting um, my first IT job at a school district. And um, I was a level three IT guy where Basically, I was the, the, the runt of the group and a projector went down, a printer went down, um, a computer went down, etc. I was the one to run around and do all the work. So it got me really quickly familiar with how to work in high intensity and high density environments with clients and, uh, you know, students and, and teachers. Those were my clients at the time. So being professional in a level that 
you know, you're always on and you're always thinking, but you're always working in the background while trying to make it look like you're not disrupting a class, um, kind of got my foot yeah. to the tech industry. And I guess that just evolved because my next job after that, I became a director of IT for a Catholic school, um, did that for about a year. I didn't really like the whole suit and tie thing. Um, sitting behind a desk is just not for me. I missed the classroom to classroom, I guess, um, high stress environment was just more my deal. So uh, my next venture after that was working for a company on Long Island in New York called Telstar. Uh, shout out, Kurt, if you can see this, I hope you're listening. Um, my, my bosses over there were some, some of the finest gentlemen that I've ever had the pleasure of working for. And uh, I've learned so much from them. And they, they were really my first venture into the high end um, home theater, low voltage integration industry along with a gentleman named Peter Malzone, who I worked for, a company NYSS Digital, a little plug there, another one of my mentors. And um, these, these companies, these gentlemen, um, just kind of taught me everything. And as I saw the business move and I saw how everybody kind of slides and glides through the industry and the jobs, I pretty much set out to make a name for myself with my a knowledge of the products, knowledge of the customer base, and just figuring that, you know what, like anybody else that's worth their salt, if I can if I can do this for someone, I can probably do it on my own and actually reap the benefits. <laughs> Little did I know it comes with a lot of other things that nobody ever taught me, but um, it was it, that's my start. That's how I got into it, and I just got you know the cojones to just go after it after a while. So yeah, that's 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 awesome. That's pretty much it. Did, where'd you where did you immigrate from? Originally Hungary. Um, Born and raised, um, landed in JFK in 1990, uh, sorry, 1999. Um, yeah, and then that was a trip from there. Yeah, for sure. And what took you from New York to Florida? New York to Florida was interesting. So um, my, uh, my girlfriend, uh, now fiance, um, got an offer from a company. Uh, she worked in the fashion industry. And um, I don't know, it was just one of those things. We moved in together and uh, housing in New York is sky high as you know it um, it's not yeah. exactly a cheap place to live um you know work was great i had customers of my own while you know doing a full-time job but at the end of the day it was just one of those things where um we kind of looked at each other after being glued to like the travel channel and watching all these couples that i don't know collect like anemones and somehow have a million dollar uh, budget for houses just travel the yeah. world and go see other places and we're like you know what we could do this right and uh, we left, and here we are. Florida it is. Nice. Yeah. And you got the Tech of the Town logo right there. I'm repping your shirt, too. Thank and, you, uh, I appreciate you. got you. that Miami Vice, like, very Florida vibe, retro vibe. So I had to bring out the stash for that, thank too. You, you thank know you. Thank you. <laughs> appreciate but, um, it. That's awesome, man. That's cool to hear. So, yeah, let's get into the questions then. Sure. Um, so we always start in marketing and sales. Um, and I guess I just want to know what's your most sold product or service? And when during a sales pitch, when do you kind of like, when do you introduce it, I guess? Or how do you right. go into the sales pitch to then introduce it? Um, so my, my sales pitch is a little bit less... Um, I, I think it's a little bit more extracurricular than most. Um, the reason being is I started out in a very have to go after this manner. So my sales pitch went from, I'm the guy that'll do anything for a buck to get into your house, right? 
when I, when I first started out in Florida, it was a proxy of working for a company that didn't do right by me. I, I had to go after workman's comp. I got run over by one of their work vans. And uh, long story short, it just was not a pretty um, divorce <laughs> from that company. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was pretty much broke uh, when, uh, when my girlfriend looked at me and said, you know, you can do this on your own. You don't have to just do it on the side. And mm. I started thinking to myself that that could be that could be a way to go. So one of my starts here was, you know, registering through all the proper channels and proxies to, you know, you got to be on the up and up as best as you can. I mean, at the bare minimum, have insurance, man. I mean, you just mm -hmm. don't know what's going to happen. So, but if it, it, my advice to someone is if they're, if they're going to start out, you know, definitely do all the right paperwork, be as legit as you can be. And if you don't know how to go about those ways then talk to somebody that does, but for me, my start here as far as advertising and quoting and all that started on Thumbtack, as funny as mm. that is, and, and Facebook, really, yeah. just trying to market myself to anyone in the area. In Florida, in this particular area, in southwest Florida, we have a huge senior population. And mm -hmm. I'm not sure how familiar you are with Florida construction, brother, but one of the biggest downsides to Florida construction being that we have hurricanes is all the concrete and all the hurricane proofing windows and double pane and, and wind resistant windows and argon filled windows and all that stuff. And slowly through jumping around and doing a lot of like ring cameras and ring doorbells and Google this and all the off shelf stuff that you can find at Best Buy that I was going to houses to install for a buck. Um, I really started coming up with a concept and this is my long-winded way of answering your question, I guess, is that my best product um, started out on the residential side. And that's because I saw an opportunity in the market, which was a lot of these bigger companies that had multiple guys like me um, were not really going after. And that was taking homes that were already constructed, people were already living in, um, they were builder-grade homes for the most part, but were not pre-wired correctly. So you'd have mm. these beautiful spanning, high ceiling um, buildings, and you had no internet, no Wi-Fi, no signal, uh, calls would drop. And my product became the racks that you might see on my Instagram, which are these 16 to 22U racks that I fill with um, access points, access point controllers, CCTV, and then whatever else the customer kind of wants thrown in there, and I give them like a package pricing and, uh, you know, over the years I've made a pretty darn good living off of that. Yeah. So when you approach this and you're right, that demographic definitely is a little bit older down there in Florida. My, my dad lived in Florida in Key West for like, you know, six or seven years. And so, um, I had a little bit of familiarity with it, but when you, when you approach, I guess when you get an inquiry or something like that, how do you, do you just hit them off the bat and be like, look, this is how I do things. I prepackage these. Or do you say, hey, you know, you kind of detail their needs first and then you slide that idea in that right. you're wiring houses like that? So the way I do that is I'm very, I'm very individually personal with my clients. So I won't just say this is our product and this is what we sell. I, I, I'm a small company, you know, a, you know, one man team in, in many, in many ways. And then when I have help, it's, it's really on the labor side. So 
I, I really make it a point to shake the hand of every customer I get. I'm, I'm old school mm -hmm. in that way. Um, my grandfather taught me the meaning of a handshake at a very young age. And um, I don't, I'm not going to be the one of the few guys that comes on here and probably preaches against all the apps and all the CRM software and, you know, the QuickBooks and all that stuff. I'm very pen and paper, man. And um, I'll go to every house that I quote, I meet the owners or the GC in, in, in the commercial case, and I really just listen to their problems. And not every solution will fit every budget. Not every budget will fit, you know, every need. So, you know, a lot of times we got to pivot. A lot of times I do have to shell out and sell the cheap stuff, but the cheap stuff is still better than, you know, nothing. And I, I really try to tell the customer, yes, you're experiencing these problems that you just told me because of X, Y, and Z reasons. Um, but that's not necessarily my opportunity to just go in and say, here's our you know, $10,000, $20,000, $5,000 package. It's really just an opportunity to make them understand as if you know, I'm a teacher. And whether they go with me after that or not is really completely up to them. I give them an option and I treat them in a way that I would treat, you know, my own family or my own household. And I'll basically say, listen, I think this is what we should do for the money that you can spend on this. Anything less is not worth spending on. Respectfully, here's the quote. Mm. Right on. And so they take that quote and then you've won the job. So what are your next, and this kind of works into that managing the project all the way through, what are the, the, um, what did I say? Where is it? Oh, I went to project management and I skipped the bid. Look at that. Hold on. So yeah, no. So you're, you're, they're reaching out to you. You're talking to them and you know, right. you're getting an idea of where their pain points are and an idea of maybe where their budget is. So do you use uh, quoting software at all? No, I don't. I, um, again, I, I don't think I really need it for, for what I do. I'm, I'm, sure. I'm in this, I'm in this very niche market where a lot more of my clients are like mid to high end residential than commercial, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the guys that I think, um, at least I've heard you speak to, um, either when they own their own companies, they have this amazing connection where they do a lot of commercial, right. Or mm -hmm. a lot of the guys that you speak to are really maybe high end in the companies that they've been working for, for a long time. And they have, you know, the seniority and the access to all these uh, biddings and, and, and they get to manage the projects, you know, basically project managers. Um, I think I'm unique for this interview in the sense that I'm very small, but we turn over yeah. very big numbers. And for that reason, my company has yet to lose that personal touch. And we don't do any software. Everything I do, a quote, everything goes into Word. I just, I made myself a template kind of like very circa high school level, you know, in terms of like the way it looks. Um, but sure. it, it works for me. And uh, what my bidding process is like is that as a guy who really soup to nuts has been in the field from start to finish, you know, pre-wire and, and, you know, shaking hands with the customer saying, here's the keys. Um, I have the privilege of being able to know which product goes where, what those price points are. Um, so when I walk into your house and you ask me for a quote, I can rattle off a very accurate number really quickly without needing to quote it. Um, generally mm -hmm. speaking, 90% of my clients will have their quote within the first hour of meeting me. Um, mm -hmm. After that, it's just a matter of shaking their hand and putting it on paper. But um, 
we don't use any software. We don't really need to. We just look at pricing. I know what my you know costs are. I know what my profit margin is. I apply that said margin with a little bit of room for error. And then, you know, depending on the project, you have to kind of like figure how many hours is everything going to take. And I think the only thing that you're going to be able to bring to the table um, that can handle that is someone with experience. I don't think there's a software in the world that can quote hours accurately. Um, as you and I both know, you could, you could go do some project that's slated for two hours and it can take 20. Um, yeah. And it's really just a matter of knowing your field. Definitely. And yeah, and you're totally like, you're on point And that is unique to definitely the guys that um, I talk to on this podcast and stuff like that. But that's exactly what I want out of the bid to bank is I want the gamut of guys out there that are and girls that are doing like everything from that residential to that high end commercial to niche residential and, and, and those sort of things. Um, I myself have had some experience in that residential field and it's it can really pay out when it is that niche. When you do find those areas that um, have the need and you can provide a high technical level of information and products and devices, that that really can pay out. And I, I've seen that and I know that you do that. So when, I guess, let me spin this next question a little bit. If you're not using that software and you're kind of just using it as maybe almost like a subject matter matter expert to the bid of the things that you're doing when you walk in there and you're talking to them and you're getting them that bid within the hour um can you explain your method a little bit at, at how you go at it i mean you kind of get an idea of where their budget is mm -hmm. but and you have their pain points but what's your method of like bringing that together do you like okay. hit high and then offer them something that's a little lower or do you come in you know low to get the job because you know they'll have more in six months what how do you do that so it's funny um i'm i i guess and, and it doesn't work with everyone right um not everyone's gonna like you i think i think that's one of the biggest things i've had to accept in this in this industry and in in, in life adulthood yeah. in general, right is not yeah. everyone's gonna like you and, and and i and chris you and i have shared uh, several conversations about that even within just our our little social life but um you know, with, with a client, it's, I think the biggest thing you have to have as far as a skill set is being able to read people. Um, it's, it's almost like running this company has made me understand that I have to be kind of like a used car salesman, a lawyer, like Uncle Vinny style, um, and, and, you know, a banker and some guy who's like an emotional support person all at the same time. Because I get customers from all walks of life and, and I try to treat every single client the same way. I don't care if they've got a buck to their name or 10 million, but you do have to assess budget upon arrival, right? So you really got to make some assumptions. You know, if the customer drives, you know, some kind of car, that's going to tell you a lot about, you know, how well they're doing or how well not they're doing. If the house has... Um, other things going on, like if the kitchen's being remodeled, if the lanai's being redone, if, if um, new roof is going up, you know, all those things are telltale signs of, you know, there's some money here that, that you know, is going to allow you to maybe quote higher and not necessarily to make more money, but just to give a higher end product. Um, right. I think we all understand that 
the money that you spend on a job um, with guys like us is directly going to affect the quality of the work. And that's not to say that we don't try to do the best that we can at everything that we do. But all those Instagram picture perfect racks and all those bundles and combed wires and everything, you know, if you're bidding a job that you have to give a huge discount on and you're really, really deep into it, there's just some things that aren't going to take priority, whether it's for your own pride or just the fact that the customer couldn't care less. So, you know, there are ways to cut corners without affecting quality, but it's going to affect appearance. And I think one of the biggest takeaways for me in, in quoting a job is assessing what the customers actually care about. And I will say that in most cases, a 65-year-old gentleman will never get up on a six-foot ladder to look at the back of your rack to see how neatly you pulled your wires. They just won't. And as long as that wire loom is serviceable and the job is done well and the product that you sold is quality, you're really not going to have to care about it either. So that's where I make a lot of assessments in terms of like what I'm going to quote as far as time, how detail-oriented is this job going to get. And that's not to say that we don't do beautiful work, um, because when we have the luxury of quoting jobs at, you know, what should be the standard rate in most cases, um, you know, there's not going to be a, a, a hair that's, you know, out of place in terms of our looms and our wiring. So to explain the process, it's really just as simple as walk in the door, shake hands with the client, get a feel for what he or she needs, and you know, really just be direct. What, what sort of budget were you thinking, sir? What, what, what kind of allocations do we have for this? What, what did you have in mind? How much did you want to spend? Um, and you will, in most cases, get a very direct answer. Yes, you'll have to bid back and forth and kind of, you know, grin your teeth and say, all right, well, you're not really going to get too far with that much, but just be honest. And when they ask you how much things are going to cost, um, my biggest pet peeve is when I have, you know, gentlemen from other uh, walks of life and different fields, you know, say, well, you know, we really have to come back and look at this. And right there, you, you could have lost the sale because had you just said a price that says, hey, it's going to cost you this much, give or take, you know, within reason. I, I think that's really the quickest way to sell a job. And for mm -hmm. me, that's just been what's worked. Yeah, I think that spans across all aspects of the industry, um, for sure on that point, that the quicker you can get that quote to them, uh, it, it's on, you are on a time limit, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that's something that I know for for certain that uh, guys who run their own show, it is, it is a hard battle. Like some, you know, sometimes you just, you're inundated or you, you have other things that you have to worry about and things that were maybe like brought to you in a different way than usual or something like that can push out even a couple weeks to be like, ah, I need to get that guy a bit. Yep. Um, that, that, that's difficult. So yeah, I think that definitely something to strive for is to make sure that that, that bid is being given to them with, with like as little time as possible. Um, and you're right. You do have play on both sides. I think some guys think that they say a number and then it's concrete, you know, but people know if you just if you're real with them and you're like, hey, look, I said this, but we want to add a little bit of labor here to make yeah. sure that it's right or do that or that. So, 
you won the job. Like they get the they get the quote within the hour because it's tech of the town, and they're like, "Hey, um, yeah, I'll take it." So, what are your first three steps in starting that project? So, as funny as it may seem, that that happens a lot. And um, my first step is okay. So here's how we work. Um, we're gonna take a deposit, right? And again, mm -hmm. some guys might crack up hearing this, but I don't do credit cards. I don't do debit cards. I do cash. I do check. I do Zelle, Venmo, PayPal. That's it. I think we live in a yeah. world where um, we have the luxury of bypassing the credit card companies and the debit card companies. Um, in my early days, I had too many bad experiences with uh, people, especially with Amexes, that um, tried to cancel, backpedal. And um, if you've ever had an Amex, you know how great their customer service is. They always stand on the side of the client. So... It puts too much burden on me as a small business to have to prove that the customer who is making a fake claim is lying. Um, mm. So I'm old school in that way too. And again, my, my preferred method of payment is check. Um, I, I trust the people I, I do work for. I think I, I have a certain luxury in um, choosing the clients that I get to deal with. I don't have a, a, a slew of phone calls every day from some company that is directing clientele towards me. I don't do Google listings. I really just try to stay within the people that I've done work for. And at this point in the game, 99% of my, my work is really just recommendations. And mm. as a result of that, I think I, I, I'm, I'm spoiled in that way where I don't have to worry about the check being, you know, good. But the process really just to break it down is, you know, all right, thank you, sir or madam. Um, so this, we're going if, to, if, if they agreed on a price right there, I take a deposit. And typically I take 50%. And it's the old half down, half when the job is done, right? right? And we have a job that's larger, right? Again, this whole quote with an hour only can work when we're doing something relatively cookie cutter, right? Where you sure. know your pricing, you know, okay, three access points, a ubiquity controller, a rack and whatever, it's gonna cost this much and it's gonna be 20 wire runs and whatnot, right? Like, honestly, I, I can say that most guys can kind of wrap their minds around the fact that I'm not gonna be quoting a warehouse full of cameras in an hour. That's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's ridiculous, right? <laughs> right, right. But in the case where we do have to submit a quote or even when a customer says, that's a great number, put it on paper, email it to me, right? Um, usually what I'll do is, I break things down into sections. So like if the, if the client's getting cameras, uh, here's a section for cameras in the quote. Here's a section for Wi-Fi access points in the quote, whatever, whatever. And from each one of those sections, I'll take a piece um, and I'll, I'll give them a, a down payment requirement, usually between the area of 35 to 50%. Um, just because as a small company, I don't want to have to be robbing Peter to pay Paul with equipment. I need enough money to operate, pay my guys, and buy the equipment that I need for the job, right? right? If it's not already in stock. And once that threshold is cleared, where we get the check, we explain to the client, okay, your check's gonna take, you know, three, two, five days to clear. From that point forward, sir, madam, we're gonna start ordering your parts, okay? My lead time on orders typically is like two weeks. So once we get everything in, uh, we open up everything, quality's checked, uh, make sure that you know, everything looks good. That's that's part of the process. You can't just show up with Amazon boxes or eBay boxes or Ubiquity boxes unopened and not verify that the stuff you have is actually good. Um, mm -hmm. Our process after that is really just to schedule with the client. 
Um, again, I do a lot of work in residential where clients are home, clients are not home. Florida is a state where we have a lot of snowbirds. So sometimes I'll get a key to a house that I've never been in alone before and it's mine. You know, I could work there for three months. So really it's just a matter of juggling the schedule, figuring out the timeline, communicating with the client if we have any questions or if they have any desired locations. And generally speaking, we will run into the occasional opportunity upsell, right? So we'll say, okay, hey, I just realized that as I'm crawling through your house that I've never crawled through before, you have old speakers in your ceiling, or you have wiring for this, or you have, I noticed you have a lot of wireless Sonos around. Do you want to replace that with wind-wired speakers? So always, always be selling. Um, you know, don't, don't slouch on that because we do want to grow. So if you see a need, if you see an opportunity, if someone's complaining about, you know, their alarm system not working, if, if you have a guy that you can recommend to them and take a percentage, do it. And um, it's really just from there managing the project like any other start to finish. We do the pre-wire, we do our terminations, we do our rack, we do our final checks, we test, we label, and then we install and program. And then the biggest part I think that a lot of people miss and... Um, this goes out to you, camera guys, because the guys that do a lot of cameras that are starting out that, let's say, worked for a company, I cannot tell you how many times I've walked in where the client has perfectly good DVR, NVR set up with beautiful cameras, perfectly done, nothing's labeled, the customer doesn't have the password, doesn't know how to take stuff off their NVR, doesn't even have access to it, and we end up having to either spend hours resetting or ripping out an NBR because the last guy that could have kept this customer just walked out on the job after he collected the paycheck. Mm. So the biggest thing for me is for the clients to know how to use what they have. And I take a, an email, a PDF sheet, a book in some cases, and I hand it to them and I say, listen, if I get run over by a truck tomorrow, this is all your access documents. This is your master password. This is the email account that I've set up for your DVR. This is the cell phone number that it ties to x y and z it's yours and yeah giving them as much training as they need to use it yeah that's huge especially in residential because i mean usually if it's in commercial you're dealing with you know a, a certain department or you're dealing with like a specific person that they have all of that access if that person leaves tomorrow because they were all on the cloud or they were a managed you know network or something like that so they can access all those emails but when it is the individual and usually overall residential individuals who can pay for somebody to come in and do stuff like this aren't tech savvy no. so they can't go find the the email that you know you dropped or something like that so that's huge that's cool that kind of plays into the next question of going into customer experience so you're already touching on that but in the life cycle of a project um and I'm really, I'm actually really glad. I'm like getting more and more glad as this podcast goes on that I got you on this podcast because this is a unique, uh, this is a unique niche. You know what I'm saying? And I want this podcast to be for everyone, right? And so you're gonna do it obviously a hundred percent different than another guy's gonna do it on the other side of the country that is running, you know, commercial marijuana 
something or this or that or the other. So when it comes to customer experience, the other reason, sorry, I'm ranting. The other reason that I'm glad you're on this podcast is because I've had my fair share of, of residential, doing high-end residential in Montana when I was out there for a little while. And so I, I can really relate. You know what I'm saying? I can really get that you do get a lot of client FaceTime. They bring very um, uneducated yet unique questions that you kind of have to figure out what they're actually asking. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then you have to train them when they have a hard time with their Apple TV. You have to train them how to run an oh, NVR or a DVR. Or where's my um, Netflix password? And I, I, I'm using my yeah. granddaughters and now I got to call someone in a different time <laughs> zone. Hey, grandma doesn't know her Netflix, you know. But we do these right. things. And, and and I know you yeah. know from being in Montana, man, like I've seen the work you did out there. And and I, I know that you could relate to the it, it's almost an intimate experience with with clientele mm. uh, compared to like working with a general contractor, which I do a lot of now, interestingly enough. But it's so different. And and I'm sorry to backpedal. I, I, I just want no, to also tell people that uh, and this is really advice for the guys that are maybe trying to branch out on their own and, and really, you know, make a name for themselves, especially on Instagram, you know, don't pay too much attention to the perfection that's out there. And I, Chris, you know, we talked about this a few times, right? Um, you know, yeah. everybody has the ability and the time when they're taking a photograph or a video of something to make it perfect for that particular reason. But instead of getting caught up in, in spending time on making the perfect rack or making the, the perfect home or, or whatnot, you, you really want the experience to be perfect. And you can never get to that point unless you listen to the customer. And I, mm -hmm. and this applies for residential, this applies for commercial. Uh, if you're talking to somebody uh, that is saying, I need X, Y, and Z, but you already in your back of your mind know that that's not what they need, don't cut them off. Mm. Because a lot of times, as tech guys, we can come across, and, and gals, we can come across really pompous, right? Like, that's why we get this whole, like, we know it all deal. Um, listen to the client. Even if they're calling, you know, their cell phone signal Wi-Fi, if they're calling their Netflix account Amazon, if they're telling you that their printer's broken, but it's because their computer is not connected, you know, just listen. Listen to the whole problem and then form a nice reply without making them sound like they're stupid because yeah we're here to help that's that's my number one reason why i love doing what i do is because i i know i'm helping people in my own weird special way right but if you don't take the time to listen to someone you'll never be able to sell them on anything because yeah you're constantly trying to push a narrative when they weren't even felt heard in the first place so before we can get to that point, just listen to your clients, no matter how silly, whatever they're asking for sounds, always reason with them. Well, why do you want that? Why do you think you need that? Who told you you needed that? Get all the information before you even push the pitch. Yeah, 100%. And, and it's a bent, it's almost a bent in the entirety of the industry. And maybe it's because we're stressed. Maybe it's because there's a lot on our plate. Um, it's not easy to get tech to talk to each other. We all know that, you know, it can sometimes hold you up for four hours on something that this time that I resetted it, it worked, you know, something yeah. like that. And so maybe it's all of that tension, but the industry itself does have a bent to be like, 
not empathetic, not kind, both yeah. ways. Not kind and empathetic to the guy who was there before or seeing some other guy on Instagram or Facebook or something like that, which I try to push that all the time just to just to be kind in that aspect because that can may look like shit because he lost his dog that morning and he didn't want to be at work on a Friday afternoon right. that's running him into 11 o'clock at night now and his wife and kids are at home. You know what I'm saying? So like, just be empathetic towards it. It doesn't mean that it's right that his can looks like a wire nest, but we need to be kind towards that. And that goes the other way towards the customer. It's exactly what you're saying. Um, that even if they're saying the wrong thing, if they felt listened to, it's going to be a better experience for them, which will make it a better experience for you. And then you're their guy. Exactly. Then you're the guy who's like, you know, I, I got an AV guy. I got an IT guy. Right. You're, it, you're family. Then you're it. I, I, yeah. I, I don't yeah. know in your experience. And again, the reason I went on this rant is to really explain the customer experience after, right? Like, like the whole, the whole deal where, where you do a project and then, you know, a company gets asked, okay, well, what do you do for your customers after? And really most companies, oh yeah, we give a warranty. It's 90 days. It's a year. It's, here's a service contract. That's not really a customer experience, right? I mean, just as anyone that's bought a car, what, what has your customer experience been after you bought a car, right? Things break, you get told they're not covered, or there's a surcharge, or there's a wait at the dealership, right? You don't want to become the car dealership. You want to become the, the business that stands out for picking up the phone, not having some robotic voicemail, answering emails, showing up when you say you're going to, um, and not just dropping the client after you took money from them. Because... At, while I completely agree with you on the whole don't comment on other people's racks or whatever because you don't know what happened to them, right? Like, And my, my add to that is I've done a ton of stuff for friends, family, customers that I didn't get paid to do. So I just did it in the best way I could with the limited resources that I had. And I did it for free or for very little money just to get them going. You know, senior citizens on limited incomes, veterans, whatever. But that doesn't mean I'm going to be able to afford rewiring their whole house to make it perfect. So, but on the, on the flip side of that, a lot of companies will just throw something together and collect their paycheck. Things will work until the next update or barely work, or maybe the client wasn't even there when they finished, they got their check, the client's back three months from a vacation. And that's why, you know, you were able to work in the house. And by the time they come back, nothing works. Do not be the company that doesn't keep in touch with your clients. A lot of my clients, I've been invited to weddings. Half the time I'm at on service calls, I get dinner offered. I sit with the family, we chat, we BS. I've, I've been on, um, you know, little trips with, with customers of mine. I mean, it's it's been an experience like unlike any other. And I think the reason I do what I do as well as I do it is because I have that trust i have that relationship with my clients where hey results coming over yeah just leave the garage door open or you know they know i'm a night owl how late are you going to be today you want dinner you know it's it's just a different perspective and they know that if i sold them something there's not going to be red tape there's not going to be any warranty card oh sorry i can't cover this because you were silly and you did something you weren't supposed to i'll cover it to the best of my human ability and the key is to stay human Never forget that we're people, they're people, 
everyone's going through their own struggles and we're all just a bunch of strugglers going through our way in life trying to find our path, right? So if someone screws up because they plugged in the wrong DC adapter to something because they were cleaning and they burnt out a switch, hey, you know, I'm sorry, like you burnt out your switch. It's going to cost this much to replace it, but hey, let me put it in for you for free. You know, just this one time and now you learn never to do it again. But other companies would charge this whole slew of reconfiguration fees, call fees, whatever. I don't make a lot of money on a lot of calls that I do. And I know that's not a good way to do business, but I'm not in it to be rich. I'm in it to be tech of the town. My name is everything. My work is everything. And my relationship with my clients means nothing. Nothing. There's nothing more to me that means more than, than that. Um, it's just everything to me. So I'm different in that way. Yeah, um, definitely. So ramble. Yeah, that's <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. That's the content, baby. Um, no, so okay, so the the project gets done, you know, they're happy, you're happy. Um, from a bank aspect, do you you said you then take the fifty percent like on the back end of it also? Yeah. Yep. And then once you um complete that job let me just ask you and uh you can curb it how you like, sure. but when when you get in when you get that money in are you putting money aside for just cash flow do you put some money into any marketing i think you said you don't uh you have a nice truck so i know that sometimes the, those things don't work how we want them to so how do you kind of your like method of moving money towards your business okay so it's again think small because my method yeah, for sure. will not work for big companies. My method will not work for companies with more than you know five employees. For the time being, um, being as small as I am, I'm very in demand. So I know I have work booked out months, months, months ahead of time. And um, I, I don't know how much Shark Tank you watch, but um, I'm a huge fan oh. of, of Barbara Corcoran. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And Barbara Corcoran once went on an interview and she's she's a very successful woman um smart and she once went on an interview and talked about her mother and said that even though they were dirt poor her mother always said money was meant to be spent mm. and she never she never saved a dime and neither does uh barbara and i kind of looked at that interview and smiled because i grew up dirt poor never had anything and we always got by somehow so when I started this venture, my only goal was to make as much money per week as I would have gotten paid on a paycheck, which, mm -hmm. you know, for some people may vary. My, my paycheck after taxes, I believe, was like 450, 550 bucks. So as long as I was clearing that money, I was good. I, I, I've just grown very accustomed to making, um, making a good life on very little. So as a company, it started out as, you know, sole proprietorship and, and bad habits formed because you tend to commingle your income of business with your with your personal assets. And yeah. I, I do suggest that everybody takes a really good seminar on money management or just, you know, pay your um, accountant if you have a good one to just, you know, have a two hour sit down with you and explain to you how money works, how taxes mm -hmm. work. 
because what I quickly figured out is that if I keep doing this and, and the larger I grow and the better I become at doing things, I'll end up owing a shit ton of money to the government. Yeah. So, and, and my wake up call was um, when, I, when I went from a, a sole proprietorship to a, a, an S Corp and I got hit with a bill that said I owe like $10,000 in taxes because yeah. I never paid my quarterlies. Because I just figured out, right. oh, what the hell, I'll just pay it at the end of the year. And uh, I had to dip real deep into, like, my uh, my safe. Um, you know, I don't know, you can't see it behind me, but I I had some valuable things uh, that I had to get rid of in a very big hurry to pay for that uh, tax bill. But yeah. um, I think what I do now um, is kind of a, a variation of being fiscally responsible and planning and, and also planning for, you know, jobs and, and, and savings. Um, now I take the money that I get and I figure out how much are my, you know, monthly operating expenses, employees, car insurance, you know, health, food, whatever, gas. Gas is really important now, especially when you run vans. Um, and then what items did I use from my typical stock? Because there is a there is a need to reinvest in your company, right? Um, mm -hmm. Even the smallest of guys need to understand that not every everything you get at the end of a job is profit. You need to take some of that money, and I don't care how broke you are, because when I tell you I go from fifteen thousand in the bank on Monday to negative three bucks in the bank on Thursday to this very day, I mean it. I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed to say that I am rich broke <laughs> because I have everything I need. I got my bills paid. I got food in the fridge. I got luxuries that I probably shouldn't be buying. Um, but at the end of the day, I can get a paycheck one day and it's gone the next. And that's okay because I know that next week I'm starting another project. The week after that, I'm doing another pre-wire. So I've been smart enough to know that where my next paycheck's coming from. A lot of people think paycheck to paycheck is a bad concept. It's not. The problem with paycheck to paycheck is if you don't know where the next one is. I'm proactive mm -hmm. in hunting for jobs, um, talking with people. My, my, my social circle is always expanding. I'm shaking hands. I'm spending money on dinners, meeting people, going places, um, not, not being antisocial really puts me in a position where I know where my jobs are coming from and when they're going to happen. Um, but at the same time, if you just keep money in the bank, you have to understand that it's either going to be taxed or you're going to spend it on something stupid. Because, and I'm sure you've been there, Chris. I, I, I know a lot of my friends that own their own businesses are. If they have a couple of grand in the bank and you've never been used to having money, it's almost like it's itching to be spent. Hey, I could buy that new toy. I could put, a, you know, whatever on my car. And I'm the same way. So I've formed, I've, I've taken my bad habits and I've turned them into good ones. And what I do is the minute I get a paycheck, I look at my inventory and I reorder. And I tend to reorder more than I ordered last time. So if I'm out of Ubiquity switches, you know, Dream Machines, Access Points, I reorder those. You're going to hate me for this one. I go down to ADI and see what's on the sale sheet. You know, um, our camera's yeah. on sale, on speakers on sale. Whether I have a customer for them or not, if it's a good price, I buy it. Um, if you have an industry 
um, where you're constantly selling certain amounts of product, no matter what, it doesn't matter if you don't know where you're going to install this pair of, you know, rust sound speakers or, you know, whatever it is, right? If mm -hmm. you can save 30% the day you have money, you don't have to spend 30% more on the day that you're strapped for it. Mm -hmm. So I keep an inventory, I keep cycling it, I make sure that the bills are paid, and I take a small paycheck. On paper, um, and, you know, and, and my, my, my financial guy can tell you this, I don't make a lot. I, I pay myself the bare minimum. I give myself the same paycheck today as I was making six years ago working for somebody else. I get 400 bucks a week. That's it. And I'm cool with it. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, that's good, man. That's definitely unique. And uh, I appreciate you sharing that. You know what I'm saying? Because I understand that, like, our, the platforms that we work on are very like you know try to look your best and the truth about businesses and this is with you and everybody else that I've interviewed is that like on the inside of it you're right we're all struggling like we're all like learning to put pieces together on things that we didn't know about yesterday you know and so growing that and coming from you know your story I'm just really appreciative of it and I'm really appreciative that you, you know, that you shared it with us and that sort of thing. Um, what do you feel like is one area maybe in the whole of your business that um, you could you could get a little better at as tech of the town a business? You know, doesn't have to be specifically to Zolt, but for tech of the town. I mean, I, I think uh, at the end of the day, like most companies, I, I need to figure out a better way to grow. Um. Mm. The problem is, is that you talk to a lot of people and and if, if you fall into the trap that I fell into the first year, kind of like when you and I first started talking, um, I was always looking at somebody else's lawn and I was always asking yeah. myself, why is it so freaking green over there, man? Like I got grass here, but you know, looks like it needs some water. It's like it needs some seed, needs some de-weeder. And, and I, I really had a hard time creating the identity that I have now uh, without feeling like I'm a failure every day. And it took a lot to get over that because everybody was posting perfect things and perfect vans and, and especially the guys that were companies with multiple employees, multiple vans. I was always getting this like size envy, right? And I guess life just humbled me by forcing me to kind of struggle the way I've struggled to get through and to the point that I'm at now where I actually genuinely feel successful. But at the same time, I still haven't figured it out yet. Um, and, and what I need to work on is how to grow, how to get good employees, how to keep them happy, keep them well-fed while maintaining the success the company has without losing all those personal touches and I think that's going to take me learning how to speed up my processes in some way. I'm, I'm very ADHD and very just like put things off to the last minute um, in my nature. So there's some things I got to work on there. So, you know, in respect to the question, anything that tech at a town has to work on, I have to work on. And um, yeah, for me to be able to do that, it's going to take some, some more self-discipline. 
and slowly coming up with systems. Like, again, I, I really stress to anybody that's listening to this that I am not perfect. I am happy at what I do. I'm good at what I do. But, you know, running a, a you know, multi-million dollar corporation is not my expertise. And I just haven't found a right method for me yet. That doesn't mean that somebody else may not have an idea that doesn't work. For me, it just hasn't yet. I have a lot of people that tell me how to do things, how I should do things, and they skip the part about where I get the money to start all that up. And everybody likes to say, oh, well, you go get a loan. And I'm just with the state of the banks in today's economy and, and how things have gone for me with taking any sort of money from anything, um, credit cards, whatever, I've just not had good luck with any of that. So I like to pay for things up front the old school way and, and go from there. So in short, how to grow and how to become a better company while maintaining, you know, the personal touches with a larger size. Yeah, for sure. I think that that will probably resonate with a lot of people who listen to the podcast, um, just because I'm sure that no matter what stage you're in during, you know, the startup business to running it at the level that you want, because this, this idea of a multi-million dollar company with 40 employees and national jobs like that doesn't that's not it's not a it's not like a timeline of a business right you know that that measures success it's not to say that you start off doing side jobs working for a w2 and the end result if you're successful at it is a multi-million dollar company because every single one of us are different every single one of us have different ambitions and drives I feel like a lot of the guys who get to the multi-million dollar company, they look back and think that everyone under them didn't succeed or everyone that had it, has it not necessarily under them, but just has a different perspective of business are, are either weaker or they just didn't get as far as they got. Right. And that's too linear. That's too linear to think mm -hmm. when, and these, these episodes, when I'm talking to guys on bid to bank and the way that they're doing it and you know, you expressed it. And I feel like every single guy I've had on here has expressed like, well, I don't know if it's going to be exactly what you're looking for, but here's my answers to the question. And I'm not looking for anything except for a answer, right. you know, because we do it, we all do it different. And so that, that, that's critical. And I feel like you're, you're, you're right on there. And no matter where you're at, you do want things to grow and progress and be good. And that doesn't always mean that it ends at a multi-million dollar business. That means that it maybe ends with a successful business that got you what you need with a happy life for 30 years, man. That I, I, People chase that and that's 1,000% a good thing to chase. Um, um, can, I, can I tack on to that for... Sure. Feel free. Feel free. So two, two little things I want to just touch on for people that uh, I, I feel like I'm speaking to the demographic really more so that's starting out or just trying to find their way. And I don't know if my stuff will resonate with the people that are already successful um, or whatever your definition of success is. But the, the thing that you can't forget is that none of this comes without bleeding. No, no amount of success. I don't care who you are, who you speak to. Um, if you're out there doing it on your own, right? Um, I'm, I'm very much the guy that I will not take a handout. I, I have never asked my parents for money. 
not that they have any to give. I don't have anyone rich in my family. I, I, I don't have a trust fund. I don't have an investor. I, I, I've really just struggled to get everything I have with my own means and my own debt and my own, you know, fruition. But that's not to say it doesn't come with, without bleeding because as you know, just from talking to me, seeing my posts, I literally will work all hours of day and night. You'll find me at customers' houses on a regular basis, midnight, two, three in the morning, driving back home at 4 a.m., crawling into bed, you know, getting three hours of sleep, struggling to get my mindset when I wake up at 8, 9, 10, whenever I end up getting enough energy to do so, to go back and do it again. I, I have sacrificed a lot of time with people I've loved. I've sacrificed hobbies. I've sacrificed a lot of a, a good portion of my health. By the way, this stuff, please stay away from it. I'm addicted, <laughs> but don't drink Red Bull if you can help yourself. Um, you know, for me, it's just been one of those things where my goal is to establish a company that you know gives me the happiness I need um, financially and and work wise, but getting there took a lot of giving up and for the guys and girls out there with spouses and families work-life balance is a myth um if you're working a lot your balance is how much sleep you're getting and if you have to work a lot you know you need to have a support system so if you have a spouse you guys need to work out some sort of understanding within each other because I've had relationships on the verge of fail because of what I do until I learned how to communicate. And without that communication came a lot of misunderstandings. So that to get to the level of success where you're, you know, taking your vacations every week or every month or whatever it is that you do on your free time and you have money to ball out, you know, you don't get there without the struggle and without the loss of time. The other part to that is success, right? What's your definition of success? Some people say it's a million dollars. Some people say it's, you know, not having to show up in the morning and just having a bunch of guys to do your work for you. Whatever your definition of success is, never forget that money does not define you. Okay? How much money you have in your bank account does not make you more or less of a person than the one than the person standing next to you. I have been the brokest person on yachts for New Year's Eve parties for customers. I've been the brokest person in groups of businessmen that for some reason look up to me. And I've been the richest amongst my friends in certain cases where I pull up in a car that they never thought, you know, they would ever see me driving in. But never forget that you're still you who you are despite how much money you do or don't have in your bank account. When you get when you become actually successful, you have enough money to live and be happy and do the job that you want without coming home and being miserable at the end of the day. That to me is success. Mm. Well, uh, the last thing is the bonus question. So from this bid to bake experience, from going from the very beginning to the, of the job to the very end in your category with your niche market that we've talked about, um, what is the most critical part in the completion of the job? The most critical part. Like if you remove that one, that, that moment, everything else 
goes away. I, I think that's going to have to be delivering what you promised. If, if you bid out a job and you tell the customer, oh, this system's going to do everything that you're asking for. And it goes back to listening to the client from earlier, right? If you didn't listen and you forgot to deliver on something, or you made a promise that you couldn't keep and you never communicated that inability to keep it, I think is going to destroy the project and it's going to destroy your customer relation and you will never be called to that house or business ever again. Um, and on a larger scale, if, you know, you're dealing with a corporate entity, you potentially just lost, you know, an entire net worth of, of business. So for me, it's, you know, the same rules of, of business as being a good human being. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. And if you fail in any of those aspects on delivering the product that you promised, I, I think that's going to make it fall apart. You know, you could have a bad customer experience, maybe even have an argument with a client, which I'm not going to be ashamed to tell you that I have. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to satisfy that customer's needs and satisfy the project. But to misrepresent what you were selling initially or, you know, tell them you're selling them this, but you really just sold them a cheaper alternative, which a lot of people have done is a real quick way to one, get sued and two, never be in business again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I really think that, <clears throat> yeah, I think, I mean, I ask that question every podcast and it's like all these different things come up and the, it, it's always something that you're like, well, yeah, that is critical. So I, I feel like my, my question in and of itself is kind of narrow. Cause it's like, what's the one thing, but I think it's like a bunch of things yeah. and that is definitely one of them. Um, being able to deliver what you said you were going to deliver. So, well, man, that's bid to bank, but I so appreciate you being on this podcast. Um, we're right at the hour, which is what I try to do. So, Thank you for coming on. Um, go ahead and tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can interact with you if they want to help or work with you or sure. you know have a question, whatever it be. Sure. Well, thank you for having me on here. Sorry for uh, you know clamoring on for a couple of things, but um, you no can apologies. Find us on... No apologies. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram, Tech of the Town. That's our handle. Um, if you follow Uncle Bear, you're going to follow us by proxy. Um, if you want to find us via email, it's techatatowninfo at gmail.com. Very generic. Um, my phone number is listed on the Instagram. So if you ever want to give me a call, whether you guys are potential customers or if you're a fellow tech that just wants to pick my brain, the number is out there. Um, just look it up. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on, brother. And I'm glad to have you here. And we got another bid to bank in the, in the bank. So thanks yeah. for coming, man. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, man. It was a pleasure.